Today, I caught up with Mark Tim. Mark is a serial entrepreneur and just co-wrote this amazing new book called Mentor to Millions with the original shark from Shark Tank, Kevin Harrington. Now, Mark and Kevin uh, formed this partnership to write this book because Kevin actually mentored Mark and they realized that the mentoring process was such a beautiful thing that they wanted to put it down on paper to share this message with the world. In this story, Mark talks about how to actually form a mentor-mentee relationship, how it is super important to lead your family like a business and why you should be doing it, the very specific lessons that Mark actually learned from the shark, Kevin Harrington, how to apply it into many areas of your life, and most importantly, how you can be a mentor and how to be a mentor to your kids. This is a very special episode that I have with Mark Tim and about his book, Mentor to Millions. And it starts right now. One thing is for certain. Just because it's tried and true doesn't mean it's working right now. So the big question is this, where can you learn what is working right now? The strategies, the tactics, the psychology, and the exact how-to, how to grow your business, how to blow up your personal brand and supercharge your personal growth. That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. My name is Sharon Srivatsa, and welcome to Business School. Mark, I can't thank you enough for uh, being here today. And as I was getting ready to uh, speak with you, I was talking to my wife about it, and she's like, "Hey, so what do you do? You, do you what do you launch with? How do you kick off an interview?" And you've done so many of these. And I was thinking, um, I wanted to establish a frame for all that you and your family and the mentorship with Kevin has done. But I would love for you to maybe try to think think about this as a frame. What is your if you had to think back, what is your earliest memory as a child? Earliest memory as a child? Well, I would definitely say it was fishing uh, with my great-grandfather. And I was so blessed to have uh, amazing men, my great-grandfather, my grandfather, my father. And, you know, I probably have some little childhood memories of my brother, you know, whacking me over the head or something <laughs> like that. But uh, but in terms of like memories that I close my eyes and I transport myself back there and say, you know, I remember that and it mattered to me. Um, it would be fishing with my grandfather, my great grandfather and then my grandfather. And the irony is, is that last weekend, my 94 year old grandfather called me and said, Mark, this is the last good weather of the year. Can I come down and go fishing with you? Wow. And so so here we are, you know, 50 years later, and I'm still fishing with my with my grandfathers. And it still is meaningful and still is impactful. And it's still a deja vu moment every time it happens, you know, that uh, I get to spend time with these wise, you know, masters of wisdom in my life. And so that's the earliest memory. And it's one that's very fresh for me because yeah. it happened last, uh, last weekend. And I'll, I'll tell you a, a neat story about this uh, because I, I was coaching, a men, I was, I was mentoring an entrepreneur and they had all these big visions and all this big stuff. And they were like, I want to change the world. And I'm like, man, you can change the world. But the, the, a lot of times the riches are in the niches. And they're like, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, you, you can go out and try to fish in the ocean. And then it hit me. I thought about my grandfather 
And my grandfather can't move around very much at all. He's very immobile. And so I have a little bitty pond and I sat him in a chair and he sat in this one spot and he caught fish after fish. But I also have a lake. And so I thought, man, if he can catch this many fish in one spot in this little pond, I'm going to take him over to the lake. It was hard for him. It was hard for him to get around. We, we fished and caught nothing. We moved him around. We caught nothing. We moved him around. We caught nothing. And, and we were just like so disappointed. And so we brought him back to the little pond, set him up in that chair, and he started catching fish. <laughs> and, you know, and that's life, right? Like, so entrepreneurs, if you want to change the world, you got to start in your own pond. Like you've got to fish in a small body of water and really perfect your idea and really get it right before you move to that bigger body of water. Because if we'd have stayed in the big lake, we'd have lost all our bait, our hooks, and then we wouldn't have had anything to go back to that small pond. But anyway, you asked me a simple question about my early childhood memories and I brought it full circle to, you know, learning how to start a business by fishing in a small pond before you go to the ocean or the lake. No, it's, it's spot on. And I think that's what early memories do for us, right? I think they are they are the framing seed that it does so many powerful things for us. Now, um, is there a way, do you have any memory around this? And I want to get into the core topic of this, which is, do you have a memory of the conversations that you have had over the years fishing? Yeah, with- I do. Uh, I, I was so fortunate. Um, I knew there was something happening when we were fishing, right? That that wasn't really fishing. And, and it went like this, okay? So it basically was all about, um, you know, it was all about me basically being with my grandfather and we're fishing. But I started realizing as I got a little bit older that my my grandfather wasn't catching any fish. And I thought, oh, that means that I'm just, you know, such a better fisherman than him and I don't <laughs> want to embarrass him, right? And so I didn't say anything. I just was so proud of myself at how good of a fisherman I was. But every time we go fishing, he would tell me stories and he would lean into my life. And then I got a little bit older, Sharon, and I looked down one time and saw that my great-grandfather did not have any bait on his hook. And I'm thinking to myself, what is going on? Like he's gotten so old that he forgot to put bait on his hook. I, I don't want to embarrass him. I don't want to tell him that, you know, that, that there's no bait on there. And so, but I paid attention. And the next time we went fishing, guess what? There was no bait on his hook. This was not an accident. This was not Alzheimer's. He knew that when we went fishing, I was a sponge. He knew that when we went fishing, I would listen to what he was saying. He could pour life into me. And he knew that the more fish I caught, the more I was willing to listen and learn. So he started fishing without bait. He didn't have any bait on his hook because he was fishing for something completely different than me. Like I was fishing for fish and he was fishing for me. Now, here's the best part. I actually started writing those stories down that he was telling me. And I actually am in possession of some of the stories that my great grandfather told me when I was young. But this is what I I will tell you. And that is that when I look back at that whole experience, when I look back at just the entire experience and the exchange that I had with them, it's that every time we went fishing, he was pouring into my life. He was intentionally being there to teach me and mentor me. And I consider him one of my first mentors. And, you know, the book that I wrote with Kevin Harrington is Mentor to Millions. And it's not millions of dollars. It's millions of people impacted. And so if you have people in your life that are willing to be intentional, that are willing to fish 
and not use bait, but use intentionality of what it takes to get you interested to fish the way you want to be fished for. That's the kind of mentors that you need in your life. Now, the, the cool part is that as I fast forward in my life and I see the impact is the question that I ask now is, who are you fishing for, Sharon? Mm -hmm. Who are you fishing for? Who in your life is so important to you that you're willing to spend time wherever they want to be at, doing whatever they want to do so that you can breathe wisdom into their life? And then the other question is, who's fishing for you? who's fishing for you? Who right now is mentoring you? Who's putting life and wisdom into you? These are important questions that we have to ask ourselves. Who are we fishing for? And who's fishing for us? And yeah. so when I think of this simple question about fishing, man, it brings back so many yeah. foundational stones that were built in blocks on blocks that made me the father, the husband, and the entrepreneur that I am today. I can promise you the book Mentor to Millions would have never been written if it wasn't for that time, those times, fishing with my grandfather all those many years ago. Yeah, so good, right? And how, it's amazing how foundational early memories. I'll actually, I'll take 10 seconds as you were sharing that. I want to um, share an early memory of mine that uh, my, my father was a um, city uh, city college professor of English literature in India and was not making a lot of money and decided that he was going to support his one son and give a better life for his son. And I remember this, we, he, we built an office in our one bedroom apartment and I was uh, confined to the one bedroom. And if the meetings were on, the door was closed, I couldn't come out school or no school. I couldn't come out. And my dad told me the story, Mark, which was fascinating. And he said to me one day, um, his friend's son, who was like 18 or 19 years old, walks into his office and um, puts in, you know, the equivalent of $10,000, uh, puts in, in, in cash on his desk. And my dad's like, whoa, like, what is this brown paper bag of stuff, right? And he said, uh, this kid tells my dad, it is a tradition in my family that, um, it, it, that I, I am required by my by family heritage to buy... Uh, apprenticeship because that's the karmic balance. And he says, um, I've been looking all around. He told my dad, Mr. Srivata, it would mean the world to me if you took me out on your, as your apprentice. And I emptied my entire savings account to show you the symbol of my seriousness. Wow. Can you imagine? Like that is insane. Right. And so those, like those two things is what my, my dad really taught me, Mark, which was the one, which was the, 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 the component of mentorship has this, this, this phrasing, which is the symbol of seriousness. And I think there is a, there's a, there's a seriousness in the relationship. And the second is that um, it was so amazing that they, he, he made that, he formalized that relationship, right? And I know the first time we met, you told a group of small of us saying, hey, this is how I approached Kevin. And you told that story. And I'd love for you to maybe talk <laughs> through that. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, the thing is, is that Kevin Harrington was on Shark Tank. So the guy had heard so many uh, pitches, just so many pitches. And so I'm like, I want this guy to mentor me. Like, I need to learn how to scale. I need to learn how to, you know, I, I was I was how successful as in business, but not the kind of success that he had experienced. And so I'm like, how am I going to get this guy to mentor me? And so I'm like, it has to be a perfect pitch. And so I did exactly what you did, by the way, before we started this interview. I said, okay, Kevin, 
I would like for you to mentor me. But before you answer, let's get something straight. Your time is extraordinarily valuable. And I'm always going to value your time. And I'm going to make it really easy for you to mentor me. Okay, so that's number one. Number two is I commit here and now to being the best student you've ever mentored. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Those two things, like they line up exactly like what you were saying with your father of, you know, the, the guy emptying his savings account, putting it all down, basically saying, I'm so committed. I have to be your best student or I'm broke. Right. I, this is all I got. And so, you know, so Kevin had heard thousands, tens of thousands of pitches and he'd never heard that one. Yeah. He'd, he'd never had anyone say, I will be your best student. And he's like, I got to give this guy a shot. And he started mentoring me and I was his best student. Like the formula for success. Okay. We talk about this in the book. It's a three-step formula and it goes like this. You got to have the right mentor. Now this has got to be somebody that you know, like, and trust. But then number two is you got to be that mentor's best student. Okay. It's like this brick wall. Okay. You can see this brick wall back here. We love brick as human beings because it's strong. It's sturdy. Well, look at it this way. What if the job of your mentor is to take their life's lessons and forge them into bricks? And then they got to pass them on to you as a mentee. Your job as a mentee is to be their best student and collect as many bricks as you can. But even a little kid can knock over a wall of bricks if there's no concrete or mortar in between. So how does that work? How do you lock it in? Well, step three is you have to teach what you've learned to other people. Yeah. That's the mortar. That's the concrete. That's how you take the wisdom, the bricks from your mentor, and you form it into a foundation that you can build. You can build a family on. You can build relationships. The formula for success in mentorship is get the right mentor, be the best student, and then take what you've learned. Don't hoard it. Don't collect it. Teach other people with it. And you will absolutely be on your way to impacting millions of people. Mark, it's so good. Um, I love your third part of it, especially the teaching component of it back, right? Because that being the mortar. My question is, is there, when you look back at your time with Kevin, do one or two kind of lessons stand out as to, wow, if not for Kevin, I would not have learned that. Oh yeah. So <clears throat> this is, I mean, I, I just, I love, like there's just some real nuggets that have changed my perspective and me as an entrepreneur. And, you know, number one is, is this concept of aggressive curiosity. Now, another way to say that is, is that where are the eyeballs? Like, where are the eyeballs? Where are people looking? There's nothing sadder than to meet someone with a great business I mean, a beautiful business, but nobody's looking at it. Nobody's even looking in that direction. Well, guess what? That business is going to fail. It's going to fail because the eyeballs have to see it. But I can take an entrepreneur with an okay business, put them right in the path of the eyeballs, and they're going to succeed. And what I mean by that, let's be more specific. So you say, Sharon, you know, what's an example of this? Well, right now, like every article I read is about e-commerce. Why? because the eyeballs are there. The yeah. eyeballs are there. Be aggressively curious. Where are people looking? What new habits are they forming that they're not going to undo? I mean, that's a big part. Like I, my most successful business right now is in e-commerce with products that help people take care of themselves at home 
when they have aches and pains and bumps and bruises. Why? Because we don't want to go to the doctor right now because right. sick people go to the doctor and I'm not sick, but I still have some bumps and bruises and I need to take care of myself. So that's a new habit in the path of the eyeballs. No surprise that business is just doing huge numbers, like massive numbers. Okay. So number two, so that was the first thing I learned. And so, and, and it changed the way I look as an entrepreneur. So if someone says, hey, I want to start a new business, I say, where are the eyeballs? Hmm. You know, if, if that business is in the path of the eyeballs, you've got a chance of being successful. Number two, he taught me the concept of a dream team. Now, what's a dream team? Every entrepreneur, in my opinion, makes the same mistake. I made it for decades. We hire who we can afford. Oh my gosh, what a great concept. <laughs> we hire who we can afford. Hiring who you can afford is like trying to drive down the freeway looking in your rear view mirror because whoever you can afford is already at wherever you're at. So hiring who can, you can afford is not going to take you where you need to go. It's only going to help you stay where you're at. And right. so a dream team is when you bring onto your team people that are going to take you where you need to go. I could never get a business over $10 million. I'm here to tell you, I know that may sound like a lot of money, but I had multiple businesses doing millions of dollars, but never over 10. I am now on my way to my first $100 million business because of two things, because of aggressive curiosity and because I put a dream team in place that was going to take me to $100 million, not a dream team in place that was going to keep me where I was at. And so Kevin taught me, and by the way, sometimes you got to be creative because profit share, rev share, whatever it takes to get that dream team assembled. And, yeah. and it's yeah. not always easy. So number one, aggressive curiosity. Number two, dream team. The book is loaded, by the way, with all of my lessons I learned from Kevin. But those two have profoundly impacted me and have changed the way I, I act as an entrepreneur forever. Mark, that's so good because um, uh, from the hiring perspective, especially, you know, a lot of people are like when these, they say, well, they'll say, um, this is who I wish was on my team. This is who I wish I could have uh, in my corner. And when they, they don't ask the question, well, well, how can I try to make that happen? And I think you answered that in the last part of it, you glossed over it briefly, which was you don't have to, you don't have to write the $400,000 check to get your operator, there is a way to say, hey, for the first few years, can I do a profit share? For the first few years, can we have it aligned? For the first few years, can you take a note? There's so many ways to structure that. And maybe I would love if, if there's an insight around that. Yeah. So, okay. I'll, I'll say it in a different way because I don't want people to get confused. When I was asking Kevin questions about this, he said, let me put it to you this way, Mark. I would rather have 10% of the time of a CFO that would take me to $100 million, then 110% of the time of a CFO that's going to take me to a million. <laughs> so good. Okay. So it doesn't mean that you can afford the $100 million CFO. It means you can afford 10% of their time, right? So it's, it's all about, you know, having the dream team. But if you want to have a $100 million company, you better put a $100 million dream team together or it's not going to happen. And for sure, don't make the mistake of looking at your bank account or your sales and saying, who can I afford? Because what that means is I'm planning to stay right where I'm at. And most entrepreneurs I meet, that's not what they want to do. Yeah, uh, that's that's so good. Well, this this brings me to the, the who can I afford conversation, Mark. 
uh, and maybe uh, I'd love for you to maybe talk about this. There is, there is the who can I afford in the dream team at work, and then there is this dream team at home, uh, which is our foundational, which is our support system, a lot of ways. And I think the, uh, you know, my wife makes fun of me when she says this. She's like, you know, I never thought marrying you was would be like would be like this. You can't take <laughs> vacation. And turn off your, you know, you can't turn anything off. You you think working on Saturdays and Sundays is normal. She says, you're weird, but I've gotten used to working with you. And I don't think the average person realizes the amount of stress that we cause our families because of just who we are and what we do, just because we're wired that way. Uh, it, it, I know you've kind of worked through this with multiple businesses with a lot of growth. How is that? How have you kind of structured the family side of things to support you in this journey? Yeah, I, I'll tell you this, Ron. Um, I want to just, before I answer that question, I want everybody listening to know that I got this wrong for a long time. I got it wrong for a long time. I got it right just in time. So I've got six kids, three boys, three girls. And about seven years ago, I realized that I had everything upside down. I was, I was bringing my first and my best to my business, and my family was getting my last and my least. I was crushing it in my work and I was getting crushed at home. And one day I found myself at the end of the driveway and I didn't want to go home. Like my driveway is a third of a mile and I was sitting down there not wanting to go home. Well, the reasons to not want to go home might be I filed bankruptcy. I lost a lot of money. But on that day, I didn't want to go home because I just had one of the best days of my life in work. I made the biggest sale I'd ever made in my life. I made every decision with confidence and clarity. And I knew the second I went home, it was all over. Like it was over at that point. And I didn't want that feeling to end. But it was at that moment that I realized I had it all wrong. What if, Sharon, what if I was going home? What if the most valuable business that I will ever own, ever operate, ever even be a part of was the business I was going home to not the business I went to that day. What if I was already CEO of the most valuable business in the world? And that was my family. And so it was that day that I sped home and I grabbed my wife, much like you would yours. And I started spewing out all this entrepreneurial stuff. I don't even think she understood anything <laughs> I was saying, but she saw passion, conviction, and commitment in my voice. And she said, I'm in. Well, what that meant was the very next day, I went out and legally incorporated my family. You can look up my family in the Indiana Corporation Register. It's called 2B Tim's LLC. We are a legal entity in the state of Indiana. Now, why did I do that? Because I wanted to be all in. I wanted my family to know that from this day forward, I would be CEO of the most valuable business in the world and that they would be the shareholders of that most valuable business. My youngest daughter, who by the way, was right here at the window just a minute ago, holding a sign up saying, I love you, dad, because she was getting ready to leave and we didn't get to say goodbye. So my, my 18 year old, okay, my senior in high school, I want to paint the picture. This is not a little bitty girl. This is my senior in high school was holding a sign up saying, I love you, dad, because we didn't get to say goodbye. That's what happens when your family becomes your most valuable business. When you start bringing your family, your first and your best, instead of your last and your least, when you start, you, when you start looking at your world and saying, 
everything I do outside of here is practice so that when I get to implement it in my family, it's perfect. Every lesson that I learn from every podcast, every mastermind that I attend is so that I can pick up wisdom and bring home and my family can be my most valuable business. And that's exactly what I did. And I just started applying everything I learned. I, we had shareholder meetings on Sunday nights. Every Sunday night, we had a shareholder meeting. And my kids learned they have a voice and they have a vote. We, had, we developed a family logo. We have a family mission statement. Everything I learned in business, I just brought it home and applied it at home. And very quickly, my kids saw a commitment. And they saw courage in a father to say, I'm in it all the way. I had my, my daughter, my middle daughter, who's now in college, left her freshman year of high school. She was sitting at uh, Kevin Harrington's kitchen and, and was sitting there with me in a meeting. And she sends me an email that says, Dear Mr. Tim, it has come to my attention that you are in need of a personal assistant. And I happen to know somebody that may be qualified for that job. So I actually had her interview with my HR person, with my VP of my company, and then she sat in front of me and I said, Cassandra, I would love to hire you as my personal assistant, but you can't go to public high school and, and travel with me. And she said, mom and I got it all worked out. I'm going to leave public high school and do virtual online high school so that I can travel with you. And for the next year, she went on over 30, over 30 business trips with me. She met incredible people. She learned how to take notes so well that I would just show up to a meeting and I could just be present and she would give me a bullet pointed recount of everything that happened in the meeting and everything I needed to do afterwards. This was a freshman in high school. She's now crushing it in life. She's going to be a professional pilot because I'm a pilot and she flew with me during that year and, and during that time. And she's like, I, this is what I want to do. And so the, the point I'm making is, is that I couldn't be that dad at home, I had to integrate my family into my business. There's no such thing as work-life balance. I don't believe in it. I believe there's only work-life integration. And if you can get your family integrated into your work life, the crazy life that you have as an entrepreneur, then they'll want to help you. They'll want to be a part of it. They'll want to go with you. They want to hear this. And that's what I experienced. And by the way, it forever changed the trajectory of every one of my kids. It changed the trajectory of my marriage. It changed the trajectory of my personal life. And here's the most important thing for everybody to hear. I still live in the same house. I'm still married to the same woman. I still drive. I still drive the same vehicle that I was driving that day. The only thing that changed was right up here, was me in my head. That's all that's changed. So if you think you've got to know this person or move this place or change your life, no, start changing your input and you'll change your output. That's what happened to me. Mark, that's such a, it's just a, you know, even it's such an amazing story, especially the symbolism of, it sounds like a small thing, but the mission statement, the logo, the, uh, the, the symbolic nature of getting the LLC done, it sounds like small things. It sounds like small nuances, but they're not. They're symbols of seriousness, right? Like you, you did them for a reason. Uh, there's a reason why, there's a reason why this, this, the Scotsmen have crests. There's a reason, <laughs> there's a reason for that. Uh, but, but as you were doing this, like let's maybe, if you can bring this to life for a second, as you were putting this in play, and I'm thinking about how I would do this, you know, with my, with my family, what what came up that 
um, that you didn't expect that you had to kind of navigate through? So uh, I told you I had six kids. <clears throat> so I, I think there was a couple kids that I don't know if I'd ever seen them do homework. But all of a sudden, when I started calling family meetings, they had so much homework, like they were so busy, <laughs> like they, they couldn't have time for a family meeting. Like, do you want me to fail out of school, dad? You know, and so, you know, because they, it was new to them, like, are you really committed? Is this a fad? And so there was definite pushback. And so that's the, my advice to anybody who wants to embark on this journey. First off, you better be consistent you better be committed and you better have courage. Now, consistency means that you can't just accidentally do these things. Like you've got to do them on purpose. Commitment means that you've got to be all in. Like you've got to mean what you're saying and they got to see you living that out because oftentimes your family, the lessons that your family gets, they're, they're caught, not taught, okay? But the third thing was vulnerability. I sat in front of them and I apologized being the dad they needed me to be for a lot of years, for not being the husband that I should have been, for missing all the things that I missed and not understanding why it was so important to them. I will tell you, Sharon, that that moment, I felt, I felt weak. I felt like the weakest I'd ever felt as a man. But my now young adult children would tell you if they were here, that that moment on that day was the strongest they'd ever seen their father that my wife would tell you that they've never seen, that she's never seen me stronger or more courageous than I was that day, apologizing and owning the mistakes that I've made in my life. And once I did that, once I got raw and real, and by the way, it takes far more strength and courage to be raw and real than it does to fake it. If anyone's ever told you fake it till you make it, they're lying. That is just, that, that is, that is just, uh, uh, that's, that's just a, a scapegoat, right? It takes real courage to be strong or to be raw, to be real. That's strength, okay? Not faking it. And so in my life, you know, I had to go down this, this journey was not easy, okay? I make it sound easy, it was not easy, but it was worth it because what ended up happening as a result of this commitment is that I demonstrated to my kids, I demonstrated what it was like to be vulnerable and what it was like to be real. So when my kids became teenagers and I needed their raw and real, they saw what it looked like. They knew that I was there for them and they weren't afraid to ask me that they picked me to be their coach and mentor because I demonstrated vulnerability. And, and I had to have them hold me accountable. Like if you want to change something about yourself, just ask one of your kids to hold you accountable. Like <laughs> I wanted to stop, I wanted to stop looking at my phone when I was putting them to bed. So at one of the family meetings, I said, if I look at my phone when I'm putting you to bed, you have permission to take my phone. Wow. Do you know how many times I lost my phone? Like more times than I could even count. And it was embarrassing every time. But over time, I learned how to be present. I wasn't perfect. I just learned how to be present. And I needed my kids to hold me accountable because guess what? I wanted to be present. I just couldn't do it on my own. And so my kids held me accountable. My wife held me accountable. But here's the cool part. They saw what accountability looks like. So when it was my turn to hold them accountable, they were ready. Yeah. And they were okay with it. And so, you know, so it's not the do as I say, not as I do. It's do first 
and then they will follow. Actions speak louder than words. And so but there was a lot of this journey that was, un, I mean, this was an experiment. I wasn't even willing to talk about this for years because I was afraid that this was like going to fail. And so here I am now with young adult children and they're looking back saying, you know, I, I'm so thankful that you got this right because we are forever changed and our family's forever changed. I just had my 20 year old daughter texting me today, telling me how different our family is from other families. And we're not perfect. We are so not perfect at all. We've got our share of garbage and junk, but she's like, the way we talk to each other, she's like, I can tell you anything. And, 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 and the, here's, here's what she means by that. Not that she can tell me anything and I won't judge her, but she can also tell me when I'm screwing up. Like right. she can say, dad, that was, that was not right. Like you, you need to do this differently. And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be defensive. I'm gonna listen to her. I'm gonna value her. And the same way I can do the same for her. But my point is, is that when your family gets your first and your best, when you're practicing in the outside world so that you can perfect it inside the walls of your home, that's when your journey goes on a whole new path. And I hope everybody listening is willing to try that path out because I'm here to tell you that uh, you won't regret it. Yeah, Mark, that's so good. I have, I have one um, bring it to life question on this one. I, I As I'm listening to this, I'm like, whoa, this feels like I need to get this right up front before I even bring it up to the family. Uh, I need to have thought through this. I need to have a, 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 no different than I was starting a company. I need to have a plan in place. I need to have myself gone through some homework and some direction and some visioning before I present this as a collaborative idea. How much work did you do? Did you create an artifact? What did you do before you presented this? Okay. So remember I was sitting it in my driveway and I had this <laughs> epiphany and I went home and I like knocked my wife over with this idea. I incorporated the family. I held the first couple of family meetings and they were disasters, like complete disasters. And I'm like, okay, I can't just bull into this. Like I do business. I've got to really sit down and I've got to write a framework for what does it, you know, and, and if you incorporate, if you've ever incorporated, you have to have an articles of incorporation and, you know, and an operating agreement. And so I sat down and I actually crafted out what the articles of incorporation of our family business would be, and what the operating agreement would be. And I sat down and presented that to the family and it gave some context. And the spirit was your vote matters and you have a vote and your voice matters and you have a voice. And that's kind of the most important thing. And, and, and you're, and, and our family wasn't, we weren't put on this earth by accident. Like we're supposed to accomplish something meaningful. We're supposed to do something special. And how cool would it be if we embark on this journey and we figure this out together? And like, that's when it started to gel and that's when it started to take shape. And so, and in, in fact, I actually, I wrote an ebook on this concept. It's called Win It, Win at Home Like You Win at Work. And uh, if anybody wants to go to Mark Tim, marktim2ms.com uh, slash gift. Uh, I, my team put together a, a little thing that you can have that ebook and even my family meeting guide, uh, if you want it, that it helps people have family meetings because that's kind of the foundational starting point for every family. And so, you know, so that's, the, you know, I, I did it the hard way. Um, I did it the long way. 
And, you know, and, and I want to put some resources in place. And, and that's why in the book, Mentor to Millions, every lesson that I learned from Kevin Harrington, at the end of the chapter, I turn around and I show how that business lesson can be applied at home. I yeah. show you how, even if you don't have a business, you can read Mentor to Millions and you can apply everything. If you have a family, if you don't have a business, you got a family, just apply it to your family. Start there, you know, and, uh, and then let it percolate out into a business. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I have one, a, one foundational question, which I think, well, this is almost a, hey, Mark, help me type thing, right? How does, if, with all the, with all the, not only have you been mentored, you've also been a mentor to so many people. Um, if you had to pick off a few things that a good mentee does well, uh, and I mean, and I mean, just mechanically, what does a good mentee do? Uh, what mechanically, what does a good mentee do well, so that I can kind of stack those wins? So, what would be a few things that you would share on yeah. that? Well, I already gave you the first step, which is if you're going to have a mentor, you need to commit to being their best student. And what does that mean? What that means is is that you make it easy for them. You take notes. You capture the wisdom. And then this is the part that most mentees screw up. You implement it right away, like right away, like on your way home from your meeting, you're implementing, you're acting on it right away because there's nothing more frustrating as a mentor than to give you good advice and you don't act on it. Yeah. And so I mean, act now. I mean, act on it, even if you're not even sure you believe it, like, because if you act on it and it doesn't work, then you can go back and say, I tried it and this is why it didn't work. But if you go back and say, yeah, I'm not sure about that, so I didn't try it, or I'll try that next time, your mentor is, is done. They're tapping out. They're, they're like, they don't have time for this. And so if you've got a decent mentor, they're probably busy. So, so be their best student. Act on the advice that they're giving you and do it quickly so that you can. Don't be afraid to fail. I mean, the, well, I think it was Brene Brown said, you can learn more in 10 minutes of agony than you can 10 years of bliss. And so, <laughs> so don't be afraid to fail, right? And so act on it, even though you may not have it perfect, but you're going to, you're going to fail and then you're going to take that failure to your mentor and, and they'll help you. But then the third thing, okay, is you got to be willing to teach it to someone else, right? I mean, that is the, the secret to any successful mentee is you learn the wisdom, act on it right away, fail a few times, learn from those failures, but then teach it to someone else. Because if you don't teach it to someone else, it's worthless. It won't lock itself in. You'll just be a collector of wisdom instead of a, uh, a an exponential impactor in this world. Mentor to Millions is about impact. It's about how many people do you want to impact in this world? And the fastest and biggest way to impact is mentorship. So that's kind of the secrets to success. And, and by the way, a couple secrets to getting the right mentor, make sure you find a mentor that's failed. Like if you've got a mentor that's been successful and they've only done one thing, they're not going to be a good mentor. And they, they probably aren't going to let you fail. A good mentor lets you fail. A good mentor, and by the way, uh, a mentee and a mentor both need this in common. We were given two ears and one mouth. We need to listen. A good mentor listens. A good mentee listens, okay? And so that's part of the secret of success. And so you've got a mentor that you, you probably know their successes. They can look it up online. But do you know their failures? Make sure they've had some failures because that's where the real learning happens in the trenches of failure. 
there's a whole chapter in our book, Mentor to Millions, called Failure to Phoenix. And a phoenix is a mythical bird that only gets stronger if the previous version of itself dies. And so, you know, so if it dies, then it gets stronger. Well, that in, in entrepreneur speak, that means we had an idea that failed, but we got stronger from that failure. And so you want a mentor that's failed. You want a mentor that listens. You want a mentor that's going to let you fail. Okay. And you want a mentor that's really in it to win it for you personally. That's not afraid to hold you accountable. I've seen so many people in a mentorship relationship where the mentor is unwilling to hold the mentee accountable, to call them out when they're going in the wrong way or when they're winning at work and losing horribly at home. You want a mentor that will call you out and hold you accountable. So there's the two sides of the coin of a mentee and a mentor. Yeah, so good. Um, and Mark, you know, I, I'm, um, I'm uh, in process on two different books and it's taken three plus years to, to, to put it all together. And the learning around this for me, which I want to bring to light is the folks that I talk to, specifically like you and Kevin and the mentors in my life, when I have them on the show or when I'm talking to them live, there's one very powerful thing. And I think everyone notices that today as they're listening to this, it is how uh, how just this thoughtfully organized your thoughts are, right? And I think that's a very powerful thing. It's you have spent the time right from your initial fishing expeditions over the years, cataloged and codified those stories, and now you've organized them so that people can consume them well. And which is why it blows my mind that someone won't go and spend the 25 bucks to grab this book, which literally is a lifetime worth of experience organized to help someone succeed. I mean, it, 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 there cannot be bigger leverage than, 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 than digging into that. So my question for you is this, you labor of love, you and Kevin put this together. Um, I, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I'll link all the show notes up. We're going to do an amazing giveaway on this as well. If, uh, if you had to hang out with someone right now and just say, Hey, they have mentored to millions in their hands. And he said, Sharon, you have mentored to millions in your hands. I want you to go to X chapter or Y chapter. Like, can you give me the first starting off point that will give me like a little spark right away? Yeah. Well, number one, uh, I think Amazon has this book on special for, for $17. So it's not even 25 bucks. You can go to Amazon right now and get it. You know, I think uh, I would start at, uh, I would start at the epilogue so that you understand we frame right up front that business is important, but family is even more important. And so right up front, you get that message loud and clear. And by the way, the, uh, the book, the foreword of the book was written by Tom Ziegler, the son of Zig Ziegler. And so there was only one person we wanted to write the foreword, and that was Tom Ziegler, because Kevin and I both had Zig Ziegler as a mentor. But then you'll end up in chapter number one. It's called Mindset. And, and you, you, you just have to, I mean, maybe it was too predictable for me to do this to you, but you have to go to there because if you don't have the right mindset, it really doesn't matter what else the book says. You know, it's like, it's like Zig said, garbage in, garbage out. You know, if you, you can change, all right, listen to this real, real carefully. You can change who you are. You can change where you are. You can change what you're doing by changing one thing. And that's what you put into your mind what you're choosing to consume, what you're choosing to imprint in your brain, what you're choosing to, to consume, you know, good stuff in, good stuff out. And so if you don't have the right mindset, it really doesn't matter what you read of this book. If you've got the right mindset, then you're well on your way to impacting other people and you'll be wide open to the lessons, the aggressive curiosity lesson, the 
dream team lesson, the um, the scaling uh, lesson, the failure to Phoenix lesson, and then you'll ultimately be ready for the epilogue. The epilogue, Tom Ziegler calls the epilogue of this book an epic log. He said it's the most powerful epilogue he's ever read, and he's read thousands, if not tens of thousands of books. His dad sold over 10 million books, and he said it's stronger than any epilogue he's ever read. And so don't skip to the epilogue, by the way. Take the time to read the book. But the epilogue really brings it home as to why we do what we do as an entrepreneur and why it's worth it. Yeah, so good. Hey, the book is Mentor to Million Secrets of Success in Business Relationships and Beyond with uh, Mark, Tim, and Kevin Harrington. Uh, Mark, where uh, beyond the book, going and grabbing it, which we talked about being being the the you know the gift that they can give themselves and their families. Um, any other resource that you want people to kind of jump on so they can get a little bit more? Where should where should people go? Yeah, people, if you're into the family message I shared, you can certainly go to my website, marktimtimm.com. And then as a gift to you, to your community, if they go out and buy the book, okay, we, we only did this in our pre-launch. And by the way, the book hit um, Wall Street Journal bestseller, USA Today bestseller, and we were number one entrepreneurship on Amazon for 10 days in a row. And then eight of those days, we were the number one book in parenting. So we were the number one book in parenting, number one book in an entrepreneur for eight days in a row on Amazon. So a lot of people are reading this book and talking about it. But the bottom line is, is that if you'll go buy the book and then you'll go to a URL, kevinmentor.com, we put some mentorship resources together, a 30-day mentorship program that Kevin and I will just give to you for free. Um, I haven't done this uh, for a, uh, probably 25 or 30 different podcasts, but we did it before the book went live. I'd be happy to do it for your audience, uh, Sharon, if they want to go there. Awesome. Um, Mark, can't thank you enough for your time, for, for sharing um, this. And this is almost like a personal mentoring session for me. And um, I promise to go and spread your message and, and be, be, you know, be the best student that, you, that I can be in, in promoting the message. So thank you for being with us and thank you for sharing this message with us. Thank you, Sharon. Appreciate you. Hey, Sharon, I have a cool gift for you. I took some of my best ideas from the last 20 years and created a five-day MBA. It's quick and action-packed that you can listen to on the go, just like this podcast. And I want to give it to you for free, just as a thank you for listening to the show. No fluff, no gimmicks, just pure actionable ideas for you to use instantly. You can grab it right now at businessschoolshow.com. That's businessschoolshow.com dot com.